I had my shirt tucked in just to kind of dress it up a little bit, but somebody told me uh, it looked like I had dad pants on. And I am a dad, so I wasn't sure if that was an insult or not, but I thought maybe I just better pull it out. Some of you are like, yep, that was an insult. All right, well, whatever. I don't know what dad pants are, but evidently I have them. Um, All right, we are starting a brand new sermon series today that I'm particularly excited about. Uh, I was talking to somebody that had just moved to Minnesota. This has been a couple winters ago. Uh, that had just moved to Minnesota from San Diego. And my first question to them was like, why? 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 It was deep winter. I mean, it was one of those brutal winters where it's 20 below, you know, but you still kind of got to do all the stuff, be outside and all that. I said, why? And they said they moved here. This is true. They said they moved here because of the winters. And I'm like, are you... Are you sure? Do you understand, like, what we have here versus what they have in San Diego? I mean, San Diego, year-round, 75 degrees and sunny, right? You understand what you're moving to? Yeah, yeah, I understand it. But what they were saying is, like, when they lived in San Diego, they just got—the weather just became mundane and routine. And they wanted to live somewhere where there was a little variation, where they could enjoy the seasons. Now, I said, you're crazy— because that is absolutely bonkers, but I kind of get what they're getting at. You know what I mean? Where something that should be a blessing kind of becomes routine. You just get familiar with it. Something that should be amazing just becomes okay. And you think about all the things in your life that are actually pretty incredible, but because they're so routine, you're just like, you kind of take it for granted. Your cell phone. Your cell phone is an amazing piece of technology, but you know, the one time it doesn't work, or the one time you can't hear correctly, or whatever it is, you're just like, this thing's the worst because we have these amazing things in our lives that we kind of take for granted for whatever reason they, they just become they become average um for example i was leaving my house the other day i was pulling out and i pressed the little garage door opener button on my car and one of my kids said you can con- control the garage door with your car like in this just incredulous voice and i i was like yeah i i can i'm that is pretty futuristic if you think about it right But we don't even think about it unless the thing isn't working. And it works nearly 100% of the time. It is pretty amazing. All these incredible things that we've just kind of like taken for granted. And I think this truth, this idea, this loss of perspective is particularly true in our spirituality. And, and, And I guess one of the things that I want to talk about is this, is that it is dangerously easy to confuse familiarity with following. It's dangerously easy to confuse familiarity with following. We know about Jesus. We understand the church. We were born and raised in the church. We understand it better than just about anybody else, right? We've been to all the classes. We've heard all the things. Every time a preacher says, let's turn in our Bibles to this passage, we we almost can tell you what they're going to preach about. We're so familiar. But sometimes that familiarity actually prevents us from following following because what was amazing has kind of just become routine. It's just become mundane. It's just become ordinary. And I think that's such a devastating thing to our faith. Such a devastating place to be with. Um, we're in this series, we're going to start in the book of John. If you have your Bibles and you want to turn there, if you want to guess what the sermon's about based on John 1-4, feel free to do that. John 1-4. And the Apostle John sits down to write what it was like to know Jesus, what it was like to interact with him, what, what it was like to just be around him, to be in his presence. And he tried to describe for people who would never have the chance to actually meet him what it was like. And one of the first things he said, that in him was life. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. 
Here in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the concept of what light meant, because it's a, it's a little bit of a strange thing to say. But, but what John wanted people to know is that when they interacted with Jesus, what they saw was someone who was fully alive, someone who had life, someone who was living. In him was life. And here's the deal, church. People who met Jesus, they were captivated by Jesus. They heard that he was going to be teaching, and so they got up and they walked hundreds of miles in some cases just to hear him talk. And Jesus would try to get away from the crowds. He would try to escape the crowds, Mission Impossible style, and he would hop in a boat and try to get over to the other side of the lake, and the crowds would just follow him. They're like, teach us some more. And then he would go out in the desert. Surely they won't follow me here. There's no food. There's no water. And the crowds would just follow him out there because when they saw him, they saw something so different and so distinct than anything else that they had been exposed to. In him was life. And people got up out of their seats. People got up off their couches and they went to try to seek him out. What is this? What does he have that nobody else has? In him was life. Jesus would ask guys mid-shift on the job to follow him. And then they would just drop what they were doing and just follow after him. And there was something captivating, captivating about Jesus. It got them up out of their seats. And now you're maybe thinking, well, sure, yeah, if you could actually meet him. Like if I could go somewhere, I would drive. I would get in my car right now. I'd go drive and I'd listen to him teach. I'd listen rather than you. I mean, that would be so much better, right? Of course, if I could actually meet him. But it wasn't just people that actually met him. It was people that heard about him secondhand and thirdhand and fourthhand. These people that just heard about Jesus, just heard the story of Jesus. They got up out of their seats and they just did incredible things. They did amazing things in the world. They changed the culture where they were because they had heard about Jesus and something about him, something about who he was, something about the life that he had just dramatically changed their lives. People who would never see him, people who would never interact with him. Some of those people are, are here in this room and they told you about Jesus. Maybe it was your spouse, your husband or wife, but something about them, you were attracted to what they had. And it wasn't just that they were good looking or it wasn't just that they were chemically compatible to you. There was something about them that felt like they were alive in a way that everybody else around you wasn't. In him was life. Here's the deal. I think in this series what we need to do is shake ourselves out of the routine of familiarity with Jesus. We need to get ourselves out of the routine and out of like the, the, the just being kind of stuck in the mud with like, yeah, Jesus is wonderful. Jesus is great. And understand that Jesus is transformational. And if he's not having that sort of impact on your life, it's not because he's not amazing. It's because we have, we have become, become so familiar with who he is and what he said and what he's done. We, can't get, we cannot afford to get so used to following Jesus or excuse me, get so used to Jesus that we stop following him. In uh, John chapter 3, John chapter 3. Uh, this is one of the interesting stories, I think, in the Bible, and we're very familiar with part of this passage, but I think it's important to, to kind of set us up a little bit. But John chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. It says that he came to Jesus at night. He came to Jesus at night. Um, you know, when you guys were living at home, when you were a little bit younger, did you ever sneak out of the house to meet someone? No. <laughs> Me either. No, I always stayed home. I never snuck out of the house, nothing like that. This guy, this 
Pharisee, this member of the ruling council, snuck out of his house at night, threw a robe on, pulled the hood up over his robe, looked both ways before he crossed the street so he didn't see any of his buddies, and went to find Jesus to ask him some questions. This teacher had some questions because something about Jesus was so different. This is a guy that knew God professionally. He spent his life learning about God, and when he saw Jesus, he was like, that guy has something the rest of us don't. That guy has something going on that I just don't understand. I mean, and and he couldn't let any of his professor buddies see him because Jesus was just an uneducated construction worker from Nazareth. He can't have all the answers, but yet Nicodemus comes to him with these questions like, what is is it that you have? What is it that you know? But John says, in Jesus was life. And people saw that. People noticed that. A few verses later in John chapter 3, verse 14, it says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness. Now this is a reference to something in the Old Testament. In the first five books of the Bible, something that Nicodemus would have understood given his, his education, his understanding of God. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness and all these people were saved, Jesus says, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. He goes, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. In him was life, and then Jesus says, but there's this thing that's being offered, and people could see that, and they were attracted to that, they wanted that. In him was life, and Jesus says, I'm offering this eternal life to you. We need to pause on this phrase for a second, this idea of eternal life. Because when we think about eternal life, we think about a popular notion of heaven. We think about clouds and harps and singing 728B on endless repeat, right? We're always getting to that end part and everybody's standing. That's what we think about when we think about uh, eternal life. We think about this idea of heaven. But that is not at all what a first century Jewish person would have thought about when they were talking about eternal life. They wouldn't have understood eternal life in that way at all because for them eternal life wasn't just something that happened in the future. It was something that was happening now. It was a way of engaging with the world here and now. And so even when Jesus is speaking about this, he's saying, look, I came to bring something, this eternal life. And it's not just like, hey, hold on, sit in the waiting room now and just drudge through life. He's saying, I'm giving you something here and now that changes who you are here and now. It also changes the future. It also dramatically impacts the future, but it changes who you are here and now. So when they thought about eternal life, it wasn't just about then. Eternal life is about now. Eternal life is about now. And I think this is really important for us to understand. Some of you are like, I don't know, that that doesn't sound right because we sing a lot of songs about heaven and paradise and eternity. This world is not my home. But even Jesus himself said in John chapter 5, verse 24, he said, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. Jesus offers us a different life here and now. Life. When people saw Jesus, they saw life and they said, I want that. I want that. I want that life. I want what Jesus has. There's something he knows about the world, something he knows about God that I want. Eternal life is here and now. All right, what does that mean? What does it mean? What's the difference between, like, we're all alive, our hearts are beating, blood is coursing through our veins, you know, we've got synapses firing. What does that mean to have eternal life here and now? What's the difference between eternal life and I guess its opposite, which would be something like eternal death? What's the difference between living and dying? Uh, If you have kids, you probably read them Dr. Seuss, I hope, because it's worth reading Dr. Seuss to your children. 
And one of the Dr. Seuss books I know everybody's familiar with is a book called, Oh, the Places You'll Go. Have you ever read that? Uh, some Dr. Bo- Dr. Seuss books are really nice and short and sweet, but this, Oh, Places You Go is kind of long, and you start in there, and it's all this optimism and cheery, and you've, you're, you're off, everything's great, everything's wonderful. But kind of midway through the book, so if you're sitting there at night, you know, you're reading to your kids, and then they're about to go, to go to sleep, and you're reading them, Dr. Seuss gets a little dark right there in the middle of the book. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, the places you'll go, you have, you know, shoes on your feet and all that kind of stuff. And then he gets to the middle part, and he starts talking about this place called the waiting place. Right in the middle of the book, the waiting place. And if you read about the waiting place, it's like you're kind of like Dr. Seuss, or you're having a a bad day, and you just added this little bit, because it's not nearly bright and cheery as the rest of it. But this is is a little excerpt from the waiting place when when he talks about this part in the book. He goes, everyone is just waiting. Waiting for fish to bite, or waiting for the wind to fly a kite, or waiting around for a Friday night, or waiting perhaps for their Uncle Jake, or a pot to boil, or a better break, or a string of pearls, or a pair of pants, or a wig with curls, or another chance. Everybody's just waiting. And I think that we can all attest to the idea that sometimes life feels like we are just stuck in neutral. You have the same job you've had, you've, you've had the same situation, the same house, the same everything, and you just feel like you've got to shake it up a little bit, like you're stuck in neutral and like nothing's really happening, and you wake up, and what is life about, and why am I doing this, and this job's meaningless anyway, and nothing really matters, and I don't really, wow, that's a, that's a dark place to be. But it's kind of what Dr. Seuss was talking about, this waiting place where it's meaningless and it feels pointless and it feels like, what, are, what is going on? And I think we think that, that if we can just like change something, if, if something in our life just changes, then it'll all get better. So for example, if we can really, like if we get that promotion, then I'll start living because I'll have that title next to my name and I'll really, then I'll start living. Or maybe if we feel like we get that house, you know, that our, the dream house and we've been saving up for it. And if I get that house, then I'll start living and I'll have people over. And then that's when things will really start to get rolling for me. Or maybe we feel like if we get that one person that we have in mind, we're not married and we want to get married. And if we just get that one person, then we'll start living. Or maybe we think like, oh, I can, if I finally start having kids, then I'll start living. That's when life will happen. And then maybe we think, when my kids are finally out of the house, then I'll start living. And that's when life will really happen. And then they leave and you think, well, when I get grandkids, then I'll start living. And that's when life will really happen. And when I retire, then I'll start living. And that's when life will really happen. But you know what's going on? In the meantime, you're in the waiting place. You're just waiting for something else to happen so that you can really start living. And here's the real catch, is that we are taught, our society, our culture teaches us that if you really want to start living, then you got to start being selfish. you got to start thinking of yourself first. And at the end of that selfishness, it's just always a dead end. Waiting, waiting, waiting. And I think a Hebrew person might call that eternal death. And they say, in Jesus... John says, in Jesus was life. Well, what does that look like? My, uh, our foster son um, is one of the most enthusiastic people I have ever met in my life. You'll wake him up. He hates sleeping, and I think he just hates missing out on anything. But you'll wake him up in the morning, and you'll, you'll be like, hey, buddy, do you want some Cheerios? And he'll be like, Cheerios? As if you just offered him the most amazing thing. Like, you can have Cheerios. <gasps> And then, like, hey, Dad, can I have some milk? Yeah, you can have some milk in the Cheerios. Ah! 
you know what? We'll even sprinkle a little sugar on that. And he's just like done. He's like, oh, this is the most amazing. Every day, this is true, every day, you can ask the rest of my family. Every day is basically Christmas morning for him because he's just so excited about everything. It doesn't matter. We have two cars. We have a yellow car and a silver car. And we'll go outside to go somewhere. And he's like, hey, can we ride in the silver car? No, buddy, we're going to ride the yellow car. The yellow car! He's just so amazed, you know. Like, hey, can I put your seatbelt on? I get a seatbelt! Like, this is unbelievable. Yeah, this is wonderful, isn't it? Everything, everything is just like he's over the top uh, about everything. This is true. He told everybody it was his birthday for about six months before his birthday. Like, he just got confused or he just wanted it to be his birthday and he almost willed it into existence because he got wished happy birthday all the time because people don't know. Right? He's a three-year-old, and he's like, hey, it's my birthday today. Oh, happy birthday. And so every day was his birthday. People treated him like it was his birthday. But you would not believe on his actual birthday. Like if a person could just kind of come out of their skin with excitement, that was him. He was just so excited. We took him to Chuck E. Cheese, and you would have thought we had just granted him every wish in his entire mind all at once. Hey, buddy, there's this huge rat, and we're going to eat the pizza. He serves us. Yeah! You know, this is amazing. He loved, he just loves everything and it's, it's hard. Sometimes, sometimes it's a little annoying. I know you're like, wait, how could you get annoyed? Well, you know, every once in a while, we have this little jogging stroller and I decided to go jogging and I decided to push him along. This was last fall. And uh, it's, you know, people had started decorating for Halloween and they had jack-o'-lanterns on their front porch and we're going along and he's like, daddy, 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 a pumpkin with a face, you know, like. All right, yeah, buddy, that's, that's a jack-o'-lantern. He's like, just blown away. We get to the next house. He's another one. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of these, buddy. Another one for like 30 minutes. And you can't just, you can't just say, uh, yes, buddy, uh, from here on out, I say, I you have to acknowledge every single time. You know how kids are. You have to acknowledge every single time. He's just so excited about life. I'm serious. You go talk to him, out, get out of King well, like Kingdom Club. It's Kingdom Club, buddy. Yeah! kingdom club we're done with kingdom club Woohoo! you know he's just like it only just doesn't matter i love it but he but the, here's the thing he hates with a capital hate naps and you know why you know why he hates naps he's missing out he just wants to experience absolutely everything. And I hope that as he grows up, he's able to maintain that sense of just joy about absolutely everything. And the problem is, life is going to beat him up. Somebody's going to come along and tell him he can be happier if he just waits around for this next thing. And I don't want him to believe that. I want him to have joy in every single moment. I want him to just experience every single thing. Now, don't misunderstand me. It's not at all as if life is about being excited about everything. But here's the deal. He is taking in all the same data that you and I are taking in. He's experiencing the same things. He's the one looking at my garage door opener and just thinking my car is from the future because it can close the garage. He's taking in all the same data. He's eating the same breakfast foods. He's experiencing the same things, but it's like he, has a, he knows a secret that the rest of us don't about how awesome life really is. And the rest of us have gotten used to it. 
And when people saw Jesus, they were like, this guy knows something about life that the rest, of, uh, the rest of us don't. And even Nicodemus, a teacher of the law, came in to see Jesus because even his professor buddies couldn't explain to him what was so different and why Jesus seemed to have direct connection to life. Why Jesus seemed fully alive in the way that all the other people who taught the law, who taught about God, had no idea. I think the way we would describe it is like life is, is just a way of accurately understanding and reacting to the world. And when people saw Jesus, they saw life. Listen, Jesus was not living because he had the right house. He had nowhere to lay his head. Jesus wasn't living because he had found the one He never got married. Jesus wasn't living because he had achieved some level of financial success. He didn't have anything. Jesus wasn't living because he traveled the world. He didn't leave his own little country there. Jesus wasn't living because he had accomplished anything and written books or anything like that. When he died, there were about 12 guys and a handful of other people that thought he was the Messiah. And everybody else thought he was just crazy. Jesus wasn't living because of any of those things that we put our hope in, that we put our life in, that we put stock in. Jesus was living because of something that he understood about the world that we struggle with, that we, don't, we just don't get. Let's talk for a second about how, what life really looks like in our lives. And, and maybe I think I could say it this way, that eternal life looks like living a life of forgiveness. Eternal death looks like harboring and nursing grudges. Everything somebody says, we take that in and we file that away. That's eternal death. Eternal life is about forgiveness. Eternal life looks like loving people that talk about you behind your back. Eternal death looks like crossing them off your list or maybe saying something more mean or more uh, 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 nasty than what they said about you. Eternal life looks about like standing up for justice. Uh, eternal death looks like about complaining about all the problems around us and wishing someone else would do something. Eternal life looks like celebrating others and being happy for their success. Eternal death looks like jealousy and competitiveness and frustration and disappointment when somebody else gets something that you didn't. Eternal life looks like seeking the kingdom first above everything else. Church, do you understand what that means above everything else? But we can, all, we can all examine our lives and see all the things that we have put above the kingdom. The ways that we have prioritized our time and our money and our comfort above the kingdom of God. Eternal life looks like seeking the kingdom first. Eternal death looks like trying to fit in the kingdom in the little free uh, time in our schedule. Eternal life looks like getting money that we didn't expect and finding someone to bless, it, bless with it. Eternal death looks like, hmm, how can I make sure I don't hear about anybody else's needs so that I can keep it and buy something and do something for myself? It's not that people who are living avoid the disappointments of life. It's just that they're interpreting and reacting to life in a different way. And I want that. I want to live like that. I want to live like Jesus did. I want to live but I find myself too often just with this mindset of death, just spinning my wheels, waiting for something else to happen, waiting, figuring out how can I keep what, what I feel is mine, figuring out how can I be selfish without looking too bad about being selfish. 
But when Jesus came along, people saw someone who was living. But here's the deal, and this is going to sound so simple and so basic, I almost didn't even include it in the sermon because I thought people are going to be like, oh, that's lame. But here's the deal about this, and this is why I think so many of us don't experience actual life in Christ. Are you ready for this, church? This is why I think so many of us are spinning our wheels as disciples and just not really getting after it. And it's because of this. Sometimes we can't, or we, not sometimes, but too often, we can't just learn it. We have to live it. Oh, I know, that sounds so lame, doesn't it? You're like, pfft. I could have laid in bed and thought of that myself. But here's the deal. We talk about loving our neighbors and you're like, yep, 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 I need to love my neighbors. No, you need to go across the street and ring the doorbell. We talk about giving money to the poor and we, yeah, I need to do that. No, you need to drive around and find someone who needs what you have. You need to actually do the things that we talk about doing. And without actually doing them, then we're not living. We're just learning it and we're getting fatter and fatter on knowledge, but we're not actually doing anything. It's kind of uncomfortable to talk about this. You know what I mean? Because it feels like I'm getting on to you. But you know what? I am. As a ch- I don't want to be a part of a church full of people who are just spinning their wheels. I don't want to be that person. I don't want you to be that person. I don't think you experience life by just taking in knowledge and never actually doing what God has called us onto this earth to do. We have, uh, we've been praying for Donald Sundquist, and, and um, Leon alluded to this earlier. He's the husband of Margaret, someone who was baptized a couple years ago on Christmas morning of all mornings. What a way to celebrate new life in Christ. There's a gift, right? Um, she started coming here, and she told us in no uncertain terms that her husband was not interested. He was not interested in Christianity. He was not interested in Christ. He was not interested. He had grown up religious, but he had become very disillusioned by religion, by churches, like a lot of people have. One of our elders, you know, Leon, has been trying to visit him. And Margaret warned him, nope, it's not going to go well. And the first couple of times, it did not go well. But finally, Leon found his opening, and that was when Donald ended up in the, in the uh, emergency room, and he couldn't really, like, keep him out of, out of the emergency room, so... <laughs> Leon shows up, and they're talking, they're having these interactions, and Leon says, look, Donald, I'm going to pray for you either in here or out in the hallway. Which, which, which should it be? And Donald's like, fine, pray for me, you know, upset, gruff, whatever, doesn't really want it, but doesn't want to argue with Leon about it either. Talk about persistence, which is a good thing. So uh, Donald's condition gets worse. We've been praying for him. He's in, in hospice care. We learned today that maybe he has weeks, not months, um, and we're continuing to pray for him. But in this, most of us would be like, you know, Donald, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry to hear that. You know what Leon goes up to him and says? He's like, you know, Lee, or, you know Donald, you don't have much time left. You got to get this figured out. And like he said this morning, you're on a short leash it's the bedside manner of our elder, right? <laughs> and, and you know what Donald said? He paused. And he told Leon, I want that. This was different than anything that he had said before this. But something had been going on in his mind. The interactions that Donald had with his neighbors, Dave and Dorita Cannon, and his wife and his son Todd, who also came and also has been baptized here. The, the interactions that he's heard, the things he's heard about this church. This church, there's a couple hundred people praying for him that he's never even met, that he doesn't even know. The things that he's heard, he says, I want that. And Leon's like, you want what? What are you talking about? Because this is different than what he said. I want that. I want what you have. Do you know what Leon has? 
Do you know what Dorita has? Do you know what Dave has? Do you know what Margaret has? Do you know what Todd has? They have life. And Donald Sunquist, at the end of his physical life, wants eternal life. And God has brought people into his life to offer that to him. Isn't that good news, church? That's unbelievable. We are a part of a church that is bringing life to the people around us. But I want to enlist your help. It doesn't need just to be Leon and, and his, uh, his army of people that are helping Donald. It needs to be you. You need to be bringing life into your workplace. You need to be bringing life into your extended family that you're frustrated with and that bother you. There's a wonderful opportunity to love your enemies, right? Especially if you're related to them. You need to be the one bringing life into the, the circle of influence that God has granted you. I mean, you have this opportunity because through Christ you have been given life. So if you, if you feel like you're just spinning your wheels, if you feel like life is mundane and routine, it's because you've lost, you've become too familiar with Christ. And that we need to shake it up a little bit and we need to say, you know what, I'm getting up out of my seat and I am going to follow you cannot just learn about Jesus. You have to experience life. You have to live Jesus. And in John chapter 1 verse 4, people looked at Jesus and they saw in him was life. We're going to do something a little bit different this morning. We're going to sing and we're going to offer an invitation. And I know sometimes we get all geared up about invitations and we think if I go forward, then people are going to be like, well, what kind of der terrible dark secret sin does he have? And that's not what this is about. What we're going to do is we're going to have our elders as they are kind of around the room during normal prayer time. And what I'm encouraging you to do, you don't have to go up and confess some deep dark sin. Certainly can if you want to. You don't have to go up and say, like, this, I'm just a terrible human being. You can go up and you can say, you know what, I need to repent of just being, just, just being a, a lump on the ground. I need to repent of not actually following. I know so much about Jesus, but I don't actually follow. I need to repent of that. I want life. And the elders will pray for you and will pray for you. And will encourage you. And you'll get involved in the disciple group. And it's going to be wonderful. And it's going to be beautiful. But we need to start by getting up out of our seats and actually taking concrete steps to follow Jesus. We have an opportunity, and unless we take that, unless we seize that opportunity, it's just going to pass us by, and in a year you're going to be thinking, you know what, I need to seize life. I need to, I need to shake up the routine. I feel like I've just been sitting around waiting. So we're going to sing. We're going to, I'm going to ask you to stand, if you would, right now. Um, Paul's going to lead us in this song. The elders are going to make their way up here.